Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Namaste. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and it is my honor and delight to be with you this morning and with my very special guest, Sri Swamini Swatmavidyananda Saraswati. And we are going to be exploring Shiva, encountering ultimate reality, and looking at this question does the divine have form? Or is it beyond all form? And can our relationship with the infinite embrace both of those uh, potentialities, those possibilities, and those realities? How do we realize the truth of God? So I I know that uh, Swamini Ji, uh, Vedic scholar Swamini Swatmavidyananda, is really the best guest uh, to be here today um, to support us in exploring this relationship with the infinite and also the role that ritual can play to uncover the deepest truth of our being. Uh, Swaminiji is a longtime disciple of Parambuja Swami Dayanand Saraswati of India. And Swaminiji is in her own right an accomplished scholar of Vedanta. For several years, she's led an active satsang community in the United States, serving as the spiritual director of Swami Dayanand's USA Center, Arsha Vigyana Gurukulam, based in Washington, D.C., and also in Oregon. You can find out more about her and her teachings at the website um, arsham.org and that's A-R-S-H-A-V-M A-R-S-H-A-V-M dot org and you can see her and her classes on her YouTube page so you can Google her there and uh, get onto her page. She offers so many teachings and offers them freely. Welcome, Swaminiji. I'm so delighted that you are here to join me and our listeners on the Yoga Hour today. Namaste to you, Yogacharya Ji. And um, before we dive into our conversation about the ineffable, <laughs> that which we cannot talk about, um, let's begin with a moment of uh, quiet, of contemplation. Let us open our hearts and our minds to the infinite, to this one reality called by many names that surrounds us and indwells us, 
that is around us and all of nature and everyone and everything and within us as our own essence of being. So let us use the breath as our vehicle to connect to this present moment consciously being awake, aware, present to that truth that we are spiritual beings, we are supreme consciousness in expression. So simply notice your breath now, wherever you are, whether you're sitting, whether you're working in your kitchen or driving in your car, just notice your breath and feel the air coming in your nostrils, the coolness of the air and the warmth of the air moving out again. Of course, if you're sitting, you can close your eyes. If you're driving in your car, don't do that. But just be aware. Be aware. Notice. Breathe. Let your mind sink into your heart. Move from thoughts of the past or the future into just noticing the experience of this moment. And as we are noticing this moment, let me offer a poem to contemplate. I've been listening to the sound of your footsteps. Birds coming in to roost. Rose petals opening. Foam of the wave disappearing in sand. Birds coming in to roost. Rose petals opening. Foam of the wave disappearing in sand. The women who are asleep miss the colors of dawn and the sound of you coming to meet them. May we be aware of that divine reality, not only within us, but coming to meet us in everyone, in every situation. And may we behold that reality as the light of divine love, divine peace, awakened and shining in all hearts everywhere. We are having this conversation uh, today. If you're listening in in uh, current time, in real time, it is February of 2020, and this is the week before the Hindu holy day of Shivaratri that is celebrated, of course, by Hindus all over the world and also by many practitioners of yoga in yoga centers uh, worldwide. So in this conversation, we have the opportunity uh, with Swaminiji, Vedic scholar and Hindu, to learn more about Shiva and uh, how Shiva invites us into the experience of ultimate reality. 
So, Miniji, both um, Vedanta and Yoga hold that there is one ultimate reality, the source and the substance of all that is. Yet, of course, mm-hmm. ultimate reality is difficult <laughs> to put into words. And so, um, let us start with the mountaintop. Uh, how do you describe, teach about ultimate reality? It is again a, a lasting paradox in both Veda, uh, you know, Vedanta and Yoga, uh, because when you talk about the ultimate reality, that which is infinite, limitless, you are essentially talking about yourself, or you are including yourself into it. There is no other way to talk about it. And when you talk about you, the I, when one talks about that then there is no way to talk about the I without objectifying the I, because the I is always the subject, never the object. And so that, you know, gives a, a, a classic twist to talking about this and is responsible for a number of, you know, um, wrong assumptions that, uh, you know, that uh, prevail, that abide in the in the spiritual circles, there is a lot of difficulty uh, in trying to capture something that cannot be captured. But then, mm-hmm. as as soon as we say that, it's funny because it can be captured as long as we don't objectify it. So the word capture is more like knowledge. You know something, and as as you, and so. Uh, the way I would teach it is really not about me because these are classic pedagogical devices in the Upanishads which talk about how to talk about that which cannot be talked about. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so there are, you know, I'll give one example, a small example, is, you know, if if supposing, you know, you have to talk about the ultimate reality as you, so we say things like, okay, you know, you, you, we give the example of the state of sleeping, dream, and waking. And what is the invariable in all these three? It is you. You are the, you know, you are present as the waker. You know, you are present as the dreamer. You are present in the sleep state as well. You recognize that, okay, I went to sleep and I woke up. And so, you know, that invariable presence is you. And so the waker is you, the dreamer is you, the sleeper is you, but you are not just the waker. You transcend just the dream state. You transcend the sleep state. So you are more than the three states that you, you know, bless, so to speak. And so this becomes like a model for talking about that, which blesses everything with its infinite, invariable, and limitless presence, and yet cannot be objectified as any one particular thing. Mm, that's a, such a beautiful uh, way of leading us into the infinite um, and to, you know, explore that question in all these changing states of consciousness that we move in and out of during any day and night. What is it that does not change? What is it that remains constant? And I find in this uh, teaching about ultimate reality and, of course, the pointing to you know, you are that, that thou art. Um, One of the confusions that comes, of course, is when people say, well, you know, 
uh, how can I be God? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do not run the universe and, you know, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think as you're saying, as long as it is not objectified, you know, when we say, mm-hmm. how can I be God, then we're talking about a different I than the one you are mm-hmm. pointing to, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. this I as um, that which is beyond any objectification or any identification, uh, really. Um so, you know, when I opened up, and of course, our topic is Shiva as ultimate reality. So there we have the mm-hmm. paradox that you were speaking of, uh, you know, how how do we have um, an image in many forms with many names, even with Shiva, there are different forms and different names. Um, how can a form uh, teach us about that which is beyond form? Mm. Yes, yes. Um, you know, this is again one more classic paradox in in the Hindu tradition um, and its philosophy. Because you see, the thing is, uh, we would we would say that that ultimate reality, Brahman, which we call Brahman, Satyam, um, and uh, Atma. Same thing. Atma means the self. So. That ultimate reality blesses everything with its presence and there is nothing in the universe that is not sacred. So everything is sacred. Isha, Vasyam, Idam, Sarvam, everything that is uh, verily here is pervaded by the Lord. So every leaf, uh, you know, and the air that, that we breathe, the sun that shines, the water that flows, everything is Shiva, Ishvara, God, whatever we want to say. And so there is nothing in this universe that is untouched by that sacred presence. And so we have the privilege of invoking uh, Bhagavan, Ishvara, God, in any form, any name that we choose. Because everything is that. So you can pick, you can look at, you can look for God in a flower and find it. You can go look at go for God in a rock and find it. And uh, so, or you can look at God in a phenomenon, um, either something beautiful phenomenon like a sunrise or a terrifying phenomenon like a earthquake, tsunami, whatever. You can find God in all these things. And so therefore, the contradiction is resolved between the form and the formless because everything that has forms is God, but for that God to bless everything that has forms has to be ultimately formless. Like you are neither the waker, nor the dreamer, nor the sleeper, yet you bless these states. And similarly, you know, what we call God, you know, everything is God, but God cannot be any one thing. Mm-hmm. I hope that made any Did that make sense? Completely, completely. Um, (laughs) And so, of course, you know, over the years, over the centuries, Mm. um, there's been a lot of confusion, of course, about Hinduism and the various representations of deity, of uh, the divine, and um, people not understanding that these different forms all point to the one reality. And um, and Shiva in particular, of course, is known um, as the Lord of Yoga. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, please. Yeah, uh, please. I was just going to say, can you please say more about that? <laughs> well, um, first, I would say that just um, for me on the path of Kriya Yoga, there is always um, a pointing to Shiva as the Lord of Yoga. And I think in regard to um, Shiva representing tapas and meditation, um, the idea of uh, a yogi who undergoes uh, spiritual transformation, you know, uh, by entering the cave of um, stillness, right, to, to where mm -hmm. one experiences that which is beyond words mm -hmm. and thoughts. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, there's that, and, and then there are many... Um, symbols uh, that surround uh, representations of Lord Shiva that mm. have to do with the teachings that we find, you know, in the Upanishads about the nature mm -hmm. of reality. So there's both mm -hmm. the, the teachings about what we are, um, what uh, reality is, and also the 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 representation of yoga as a path of discipline so um please uh, add <laughs> what would you say well you know this is uh, i'm glad you spoke about it at length because that uh, that is exactly how you know we would also view shiva as you know as both representing the immanent and the transcendental aspects of what we call God. So in, in the form of immanence, that everything that is here, you know, and the word Shiva means auspicious, that which is auspicious. And so when we look upon uh, everything as Shiva, we as human beings learn to look upon whatever is happening as auspicious. And this is itself a difficult, you know, learning and a difficult meditation because, you know, the human mind generally likes to divide the two, you know, some, some things are good and some things are bad, some things are auspicious and some things are inauspicious. And when we look deeply into what is the dividing line, it's all based on one's own desires and those desires like strong preferences and strong prejudices run our script on how we see the world and color our you know um, view of the world as it is as Shiva or God made it and as we want it to be so there is a big divide so that is the subjective coloration you know, of desires, and Shiva means auspicious. So I learn how to look at everything, you know, with with that objectivity so that I can appreciate everything as a law of God or that everything is in place, no matter how difficult it is for me to accept it in the moment. And so that's why Shiva represents the burning of Kama Deva, the, 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 the Lord the presiding deity of desire. So mm -hmm. the third eye of Shiva burns up that subjective fog, the brain fog of 
strong prejudices and preferences. Um, and a little small caveat here, Yogacharya Ji, because, you know, it's not that we are against desire. It's, uh, you know, unbridled, unmanageable desires that we are needing to discipline. We are not trying mm. to control the mind or control desires because desire itself is Shiva. But we are talking of, you know, uh, desires that cannot be managed, which end mm. up managing uh, us. And that mm-hmm. is the desire, we, you know, that uh, uh, surrendering to Shiva as a force of auspiciousness burns away that cataract of subjectivity from the vision. So starting this Shivaratri, you know, we can have 2020 vision. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, and when you're talking about this burning away of desire, um, this this is really the the tapas of our spiritual practice. And I and I think about you know what we're releasing in terms of desire is really our attachment. Um, you know, at, attaching uh, our sense of happiness or security to external um, things. Um, our circumstances and um, this is a beautiful um, description and I I was thinking about what you said about you know Shiva meaning um, auspicious or auspiciousness and how um, you know that is connected of course to grace to divine grace Mm -hmm. um, which is omnipresent um and you know we understand grace as unearned merit right it's not something Mm -hmm. that we can produce but it is already given and yet um to experience this grace bestowing presence um we ourselves have to develop the opening you know in our heart and in our mind to open to this grace of the lord and and i think that mm-hmm. is really for me you know where ritual comes in mm-hmm. it's it's a way of uh purifying the heart and the mind and becoming more receptive to that omnipresent uh, grace and you know as you talk about you know burning up this subjective fog you know of our desires our attachments wanting things the way that we want them you know that blinds Mm -hmm. us to uh the presence of divine grace then a ritual such as we would perform um really we have our daily rituals you know of our prayers and our meditation and then certain occasions and of course depending on your uh, religious um orientation or background those are different but but, you know, here we're speaking of um, Hindu tradition and Shivaratri. So that yes. becomes uh, an occasion. You know, there's Shivaratri throughout the year, mm-hmm. but there's Maha Shivaratri, which we're speaking mm-hmm. about uh, coming up now in February. That is mm-hmm. this opportunity for purification. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a few minutes before the break now. So could you tell us a little bit more about Shivaratri itself? Yeah. So, you know, on the 12th and the, the, the 13th day, to between the 12th and the 13th day of the lunar cycle, either the full moon or the new moon, you know, we have a, a window of time in the evening called Pradosha. And uh, that is connected to a Puranic tale where Shiva, you know, 
drinks up the poison that comes as a result of the churning of the ocean you know the ocean is churned and mined for the nectar of immortality goes the story and when shiva just you know before the immortality comes a horrible poison comes up and nobody is able everybody faints at the sight of this poison including you know the various devatas deities etc and shiva offers to swallow it up and then parvati his shakti the consort meaning she is non separate from shiva the feminine form the creative form of shiva you know puts a hand on his throat so that the poison is not internalized it's just localized and neutralized and so of course this metaphor of this story is rife with you know all kinds of uh, um, it yields many many different meanings see the ocean is the uh, unconscious mind and then whatever is there in the in the unconscious mind and you know that has to all come out and so various desires come out and of course the poison is the unresolved pains of the past and so that collective unresolved pains of the past he takes it in but he doesn't internalize it he neutralizes it and so praying to lord shiva on that day you know makes it uh, makes one free of that subjective uh, you know patina that one carries the, the veneer of subjectivity with which one greets the universe and mm. views oneself and the lord so it frees one of that and that's why it is considered so auspicious and so mahashivratri is like that times 100 so you do this for the whole night you see it as a great austerity a disciplined practice of invoking the lord's grace to uh, to remove this this the 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 hold of the unconscious pains and sorrows you know mm-hmm. truncated desires frozen needs um mm-hmm. that can cannot be fulfilled and they, yeah. that need not be fulfilled for us to be free uh, to be able to see the world as god Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. And when we come back from the break, we can talk a little bit more about these very very powerful teachings that are connected to Shivaratri and how they can um be helpful to us on our spiritual path. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest today Sri Swamini Swavadijananda. Uh, accomplished scholar of Vedanta and spiritual director of Swami Dayanand's USA Center Arsha Vigyana Gurukulam based in Washington DC and Oregon you can find out more about her and her teachings at arsham.org a r s h a m s h a v m.org we'll be right back with you practical spirituality positive messages this is unity online radio the voice of an awakening world you're listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with your host yogacharya ellen grace o'brien welcome back 
And my guest today on Yoga Hour is Sri Swamini Swatmavidyananda. And I am so delighted um, to have her here with me. She's going to be at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment on Tuesday evening uh, coming up, um, where she's going to be sharing with us more about um, Shiva. We're going to um, be looking at Shiva and the form of Dakshinamurti, the Adi Guru, the teacher of all teachers. And so we find... um, in this uh, teaching of uh, Lord Shiva, that there are many, many forms and many stories. And uh, one of the stories that is um, brought up on Mahashiva Ratri is, is the story of the marriage of Shiva and Shakti. And I think that is such an important story in terms of understanding um uh, are having insight into this ultimate reality that is also eminent. And so the marriage of Shiva and Shakti, of um, Shiva and Parvati, or uh, Lord Shiva and Uma, um, helps us to sort of grapple with that. So Swaminiji, tell us a little bit about that, how the marriage story of Shiva uh comes to be part of this time and this ritual that is um, Mm -hmm. explored. Yes, I would like you to tell the story and then I will comment on it. How would that look like? That will be very nice, I think. To tell the story? Yeah, Um, tell the story and then I will will jump in and uh, add to it. uh, Yeah, yeah, just just briefly, there's a story of, you know, Shiva... Uh, Lord Shiva just doing his tapas in in the Himalayas in the cave, you know, beyond, 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 which is, you know, of course, pointing us to this experience of ultimate reality that is beyond words and thoughts. And then in the story that that I know, it is Parvati or Uma who is doing this uh, tapas, you know, her out of her love uh, for the Lord and her yearning for direct experience and merging with that. She is performing these austerities. Um, and in some versions of the story, you know, it's to get his attention. So he will he mm-hmm. will come and notice her. Mm-hmm. But of course, that is a metaphor for um, our own meditative uh, journey of doing our sadhana, our tapas, to experience this reality known, uh, this ultimate reality that is known as mm-hmm. Shiva. So please comment mm-hmm. on the story. Thank you. for That's a very nice rendition of the story, so thank you. Um, you know, there are, uh, again, it is, you know, rife with all kinds of allegories, and one that you already brought up about the importance of spiritual discipline in the life of any kind of a sadhaka seeker. And it also has some, you know, relevance to the collective creation cosmology in the Hindu tradition on the on the on the you know on the global on the cosmic scale. So Shiva is the you know is in austerity, tapas. Tapas means deep meditation. And so that meditation is the knowledge of the universe and how to bring about the universe flawlessly, just like it was done, you know, in various yogas or big, uh, large time periods. 
And so Parvati is the creative impetus. And so it looks like she's, quote-unquote, disturbing him and bringing him out of meditation. But it's not really a disturbance. It's more of a quickening, you know, like a child in the womb. You know, it, it kicks. It uh, makes its presence felt that, okay, here, here I am, and I'm growing, and I'm, you know, getting ready to come out at some point. And so similarly, <laughs> Parvati, as the creative impetus, makes her presence felt so that the contemplation of the laws of the universe don't go to waste. They have a fruition. They have the, you know, culmination of, you know, of, uh, of all the names and forms coming out as the result of this contemplation. And so she is the creative force. But really speaking, she is he and he is not separate from she. Because of our own ignorance and this gender binary that we are all stuck into, we have to say he and she to help ourselves, you know, go to, to help ourselves to talk about something that is very difficult or impossible to talk about. So th- these are just metaphors because really, you know, when when he contemplates on the upon the universe about how all the laws, the law of karma, the anatomical laws, the physiological laws, the laws of the, you know, the five elements, etc., and the psychological laws, how do they all, and the karmic laws, how do they all intersect, we say, he. And when that actually is brought forth into motion, we say, she. So that is, you know, so the marriage means, you know, being able to appreciate the transcendence of the Lord along with the imminence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really sometimes it's spoken of as, you know, consciousness and its power. Yeah. That uh, one reality that is expressing, that is both beyond and mm-hmm. and yeah. within. Um mm-hmm. And of course, it also gives us the um, the symbols, you know, the metaphors for the uh, ascetic life, the life of a monk, and the life of mm-hmm. a householder. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we see uh, Shiva alone in the cave <laughs> as a monk, um, and then we see Shiva with the marriage uh, with mm-hmm. his consort with Shakti, and then uh, there's the divine family of uh, Shiva also, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. um, these are these are very helpful to show us. And of course, you know these metaphors. I mean, they they appear outwardly. We have you know those who are leading a monastic life, who are a monk in the world, like like you are, Swaminiji, or those who are householder um, yoginis, like I am. But but those archetypes live within each of us. So yes. uh, the the holy family lives within everyone, whether they are a monk mm-hmm. or not, and the monk lives yes. w- within everyone, whether they are. Uh, a monk or not. Yes. And if I can comment a little more on that, may I? Yes, please. Uh, you see, the thing is this, that, you know, we don't, as I was telling you, um, you know, the, I was sharing with you at some other t- time, um, you know, that we don't expect everybody to be monks. You know, that's not the point of life is to become a monk. Uh, the point of life is not to have a monkey mind. That is basically the point. And so when, you know, so it shows the relevance of the sadhana, the means such as meditative practices, rituals, whatever we follow, all this is to, 
is to calm the mind and have stillness and to separate uh, oneself from the subjective, you know, veneer of all the desires that can cause havoc in how we view ourselves, the world, and the Lord. And so that is the that is the phala, the mm, blessing of the practices. So Shiva is, you know, surrendering to Shiva. You know, we can get some idea about how to do this practice. And then Parvati represents how to move in the world as a result of these practices. Mm, yeah, that is beautiful. Could you say a little more about that um, in terms of how to move in the world as a practice? Mm, yes. Yes, you see, the stillness and the movement are are not polarities. They are not presented as polar opposites. The stillness complements the movement, and the movement, you know, is nothing but stillness in a dynamic form. And that is how, you know, we, we move in the world. So the stillness is, is you know, for example, on a, on a very mundane day-to-day level, you know, let's imagine, you know, a, a hypothetical situation where, you know, somebody goes to work and then they have, they're have they having a very difficult or a challenging day at work. Lots of things are coming at you and then you don't know what you're doing and then, you know, it's very difficult and you're being wrongly accused of something or whatever it is. And, of course, the impetus is to immediately be defensive, offensive, whatever it is, try to clear one's name or, you know, react. But the Shiva within, you know, helps one, the the practice of meditation, yoga, everything, helps one to be still and to just observe. Observe the anger within oneself, observe the anger in the other party that, that is making wrong accusations or what have you. And then, you know, and that is the stillness. And then the movement is Parvati uh, arising out of the stillness. And since Parvati is the mother of the universe, that movement comes from a place of compassion, compassion towards the person who was, you know, wronging you, compassion towards yourself and compassion towards the situation. And compassion is not something passive. It is not a codependent, you know, making excuses for somebody's behavior. That's not what we are talking about. The expression of compassion here is the ability to differentiate between the person and their behavior. And you can condemn the behavior without condemning the person. And that is where, you know, this this marriage is a very, very important metaphor to be able Mm. to have that separation. Mm. Yes, that's a beautiful way to describe it. And I was thinking about how this combination of Shiva and Shakti, Shiva and Parvati, um, that it it is the bringing forth of love and compassion with clarity. So we Mm -hmm. have the clarity Mm -hmm. that this Supreme Consciousness that that Shiva points to, that is brought into the world in the form of compassion. So it is compassion Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with clarity, which in a sense um, includes what we would call dispassion. Yes, exactly. Uh, 
<laughs> so uh, that ability to be non-reactive, you know, sometimes yeah. people hear dispassion or dispassionate and they think, well, it means I don't care. Um, yeah. but I don't see it that way. I see mm -hmm. that it means I, you know, I am free from being passionately attached <laughs> to my point of view. <laughs> I have exactly. dispassion. Um, yeah. And therefore, I can have uh, compassion if I have mm -hmm. uh, dispassion. Right. Mm. So um, I was thinking about, you know, some of the things that happen at the celebrations at um, Shivaratri. And mm -hmm. of course, there is the often the chanting of the Mula Mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. And mm -hmm. um, as I have learned about it, this uh, Namashivaya has this five syllables that can point mm -hmm. to the five elements. And so mm -hmm. it seems that most everything that is occurring in these ritual celebrations, you know, have a, a way of pointing us uh, to uh, this truth about uh creation about the nature of reality um can you say more about this uh, mula mantra of om namah shivaya yes um you know it is called panchakshari the five syllabled one and this mantra is very auspicious because it is uh, it is represents as you said the five elements because you see that is that is at the level of the cosmos at the samashti or the collective level individually it represents the five sense organs and you know the the sight sound etc the primary ways in which we contact the, the 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 world and if the perception of the sense organs are you know is flawed then we run the risk of you know just uh, cloning this subjectivity repeatedly and it multiplies within us and you know causes a lot of hurt and pain and so the chanting of the om namah shivaya repeatedly removes you know tames the sense organ it has the uh, the power to tame the sense organ and you know uh, invoke the grace of the lord shiva here and so you know grace is you know i picture grace as an untapped you know, like aquifer, un, you know, groundwater. So then when mm. you tap into it, it's it's already there. It's pleasant and pl plenty. And then when you tap into it with your own karma, with your action of supplication, surrender, then it flows. It flows randomly and blessing everyone because it is just there. And so that is, you know, that is something in terms of the, um, uh, so the ritual, and the ritual also includes the bathing of the linga. The linga means the form of Lord Shiva. It's like an oval egg-shaped stone. And I want to just take a little moment to talk about the form here. This form is like very close to the formless. You cannot worship the formless because it's you, and and also it's contrary to worship something. You know, it's it's not logical to worship something that doesn't have form because the worship itself is a form. You cannot worship something that doesn't have a form. You can only relate to it as you. Uh, but here, Shiva, who you know, the popular quote-unquote form of Lord Shiva is that which is a linga, like an egg-shaped stone 
which is really very close to the formless. It doesn't have eyes, nose, etc. So it's not exactly a form. It is almost like if all the forms in the world were patted into one shape. Let us look at that as the linga. So the, this is what the whole thing is. It is very close to the formless. And so the Shiva Linga is repeated. The, even the, the, the word Linga means it's an indication. It's not mm. it. So nobody's worshipping the stone. You know, just like if you're looking at a picture of someone you love, like your mother, you're not, you know, you're not relating to the paper in which the photo is made or the frame. You're just looking, you're relating to the mother. Similarly, the stone becomes, a, you know, a symbol or a you know, a, 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 an instrument of relating to, to Lord Shiva. And then you bathe the stone repeatedly. And that bathing is like a cleansing, a detoxification. And then after the bathing is done, you anoint it with all holy, you know, uh, materials such as, you know, sandalwood, vermilion, vibhuti, which is ash, etc. So then that anointing is the nurturing, the nourishing. And this happens all night long. And so one is really in a place of, you know, one is very hyper presence. And there is, you know, there is a sense of awareness. And uh, one is, you know, totally uh, internally cleaned out. The mind and the heart are in a place of receptivity afterwards. I'm so grateful that you you brought up this um, symbol with the lingam that um, because, of course, it's very mysterious um, to people who have not encountered it. And and actually, you know, it is mysterious to people who have encountered it because it is meant to be (laughs) mysterious. (laughs) Right. Um, right, exactly. And so th- that is that is a good thing. Um, and I think, you know, in helping us, um, especially those um, who are practicing yoga in the West and they're not familiar so much with Hinduism, with its representations of deity and rea- ultimate reality, we can think mm-hmm. about how the representations move from, you know, those which have form that, that are, are, are like um, very beautiful humans. You know, so mm. we see these um, murtis of Shiva that are beautiful, beautiful face, you know, beautiful body. Yes. Um, sometimes, of course, uh, additional arms <laughs> that letting us know that yes. this is not a human, but this is a representation of something that is within the human and beyond. And then we have this um, physical symbol of the linga that becomes more subtle. It points to something more subtle. That, you know, Mm. when the mind can move beyond uh, something that we can be familiar with into the mystery. And then and then there is the forms even beyond that, which we see uh, in the yantra, in Sri Yantra, Mm -hmm. this representation of Shiva and Shakti in a geometrical form that is even beyond something that is an object uh, like the linga. That's even more of a mystery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And of course, this is brilliant, you know, <laughs> but uh, I think it is helpful if, you know, we could step back and sort of, you know, see it as this progression, you know, showing us this process really of involution, you know, of being mm-hmm. able to mm-hmm. bring our attention, you know, beyond the physical 
And then, of course, bring it back to the realm of the physical Mm -hmm. with an enlightened perspective. Yes, absolutely. Very Mm -hmm. well put. And, uh, you know, these ritual actions like bathing, you know, the the linga is, of course, and the deities often are bathed with milk um, or yogurt or such, things like that. And what is that? Why? Why would we use milk and not soap and water? (laughs) Uh, We do use water also uh, in between. And then uh, so we have, you know, the milk. I mean, I don't know how relevant it is to present times where, you know, we hear some horrible things, uh, practices in dairy farms, etc. But in the past, when we were living more a harmonious life with nature, milk was seen as a very sattvic, uh, you know, substance that which was very clear and which nurtured the body, especially for someone who was on a plant-based diet, you know, gave proteins and nourishment. So, you know, you bathe with that, you, you offer everything that you think is wonderful to the Lord. And so this way, milk was considered wonderful. Now, in with our students, you know, many times, you know, in uh, places like Atlanta, where everybody in the congregation is on a plant-based diet, we use almond milk, cashew milk, etc., and mm-hmm. same, you know, to to bathe the Lord. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. vegan, we have veganized the <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful um, symbol, um, you know, for us, of course, uh, you know, and uh, uh, other animals, it, it relates to our first food, you know, that nourishes yeah. us from right. the mother. And uh, so giving, you know, that which is supportive of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I like what you've pointed out, that what we're giving in the ritual are all those things that are nourishing and beautiful. Uh, You know, the incense that is a beautiful smell, um, flowers that are are a beautiful sight and the nourishing Mm -hmm. foods. Um, And these are all, you know, purifying the senses, which, you know, we come back to. Um, the chanting of the mantra um, for the purification of the senses as well. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, of course, you know, we have this um, <clears throat> question, you know, about ritual, which is, you know, is it necessary, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, and sometimes people become so involved with ritual um, that they neglect um, the the higher teachings, and of course yeah. the Upanishads are are filled with the teachings that say, you know, what we are looking for is beyond all ritual, and ritual actually cannot yeah. uh, give it to you. So, right. uh, what would you say about that? Mm, the Upanishads do say that you are absolutely correct, but they also say that you know, the rituals help you to get get there. So this is one more, um, you know, paradox, very interesting paradox, you know, that you the rituals help you to pole vault to a place of understanding who you are, they clear the mind. You know, it's just like it can, you know, like when you do this pole vault, you have this big stick the, 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 the person, the athlete uses. And then when they cross over, you know, and they jump, they let the pole go. 
That mm-hmm. is what the ritual is. Without that, you cannot really climb to those, you know, uh, the inner heights of spiritual evolution and uh, development. But once you get there, you don't need to hold on to the stick because that will be an impediment to the progress. I think of the Buddha <laughs> saying that, you know, once you uh, get in your boat and you cross the river to the other shore, yeah. you don't continue to carry the boat around. <laughs> carry the boat on your head. Yes, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. The same, the same spirit here. And mm-hmm. so therefore, you know, the sadhana is for the, you know, the, it's a, the ritual is an indirect sadhana. The knowledge, of course, you know, helps you to understand this and the ritual helps you to understand the knowledge and calm the mind, make it more focused, um, you know, resolve all the various um, strong prejudices and preferences lurking in the heart, resolve the subjectivity. And once that's done, the ritual can, you know, I can't even say it should be given up. It it just drops away. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to give up. Yeah. And you can be free um, and- to, you know, do the ritual or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I think that ritual, um, there's two things I think I would say about it. One is that um, one should try it. <laughs> it's an experience. And so we, we try to point to it. We try to explain what it is. But yeah. for me, at the core of it is um, the door of the heart and that must open in ritual and one can then have the experience which is uh, what it's about it's about getting out of the intellect you know um, and and Mm -hmm. uh, being in partnership with the ego of I know I know and ritual is I don't know show me Yes, yes, absolutely. That's very beautifully put. And if I may add a small thing, the ritual, you know, is it doesn't have to be done in a particularly Hindu way or, you know, some kind of a scripted way. One should be free enough to make up your own rituals, just like Mm -hmm. you're free enough to have a sacred altar or whatever. And whatever is given in the first portion of the Veda that talks about the rituals, you know, you can you can use it as a guide. But, you know, the problem comes when, especially for Westerners, when they feel like they have to do exactly what it says and it looks daunting and, you know, half the materials may not be available. And so that's a major put off. So yeah. let that not be, yeah, let that not come in the way. It's the heart that you talk about and that's what is important. Thank you so much, Swamini Ji. We're, we're wrapping up thank now you. with the Yoga Hour. And thank you so much for joining me. It's been a beautiful conversation. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 